Welcome to the Lojo Show. Thank you for joining us. We are habitually complacent. Mondaloni has a second name. It's M-A-Y-E-R. What? There's always a persistent threat. There is no monopoly on good ideas when it comes to cybersecurity. Welcome to the Lojo Show. I'm your host, Loverture Jones. I have over 21 years of cybersecurity experience, and I am honored to be able to bring some of that experience to you. You may have noticed it has been a while since we released our new episode. That is because we have been working tirelessly behind the scenes to make the Lojo Show even better. We have collected a network of elite professionals with a wealth of experience who want to share their experience with you. Also, we will be working closely with our sponsor, BlackRock Engineering and Technology to give you the resources to enhance your end users training and cybersecurity continuing education. We also have created a Discord server where you can engage with myself, our team, and other listeners. All of this and so much more. We hope you will subscribe to the new and improved Lojo Show on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we are continuing the Cybersecurity Fundamentals infographic series. Joining me today to discuss these topics is my producer, Jonathan Logan. Howdy. Today, we will go in-depth about the cybersecurity fundamentals you need to know. We will be discussing the infographics on the CIA triad, the cyber kill chain, and the security intelligence lifecycle. We hope you enjoy this informational episode and stay tuned for amazing interviews coming your way. All right. So for some of you guys, old hatters out there, all you old folks that have taken the CISSP and have been around as long as me, uh-uh, 2002, 2004, um, we're going to discuss this CIA triad. Guys, this is not the CIA that we're just that, we're, that you usually would think about. All right. I'm not talking about the three-letter agency. We are talking about confidentiality of data, the availability of that data or service, and the integrity of that data. Here's the thing, even though it's old, it's still so applicable to today on how we actually kind of define really a model that uh, kind of guides the policies that we use for information security within an organization or in general. See, one of the things is that each section of the triad could be your organization's priority, right? There's some organizations where availability is the most important thing, right? So things like you know, organizations like banks, right? It's got to be available. Or when we talk about critical infrastructure, availability is really the, the biggest concern. Do we have power? Do we have the ability to run our basic resources, our basic uses, and basic life, uh, life activities? Um, for some organizations, integrity is important, right? Integrity being that you can trust the information that you've received, uh, knowing that it's one, accurate, two, that it can be ran appropriately in your systems, or three, that it's actually giving you good information as far as like, hey, there's a fire. Where's the fire at? Well, the fire is located at this particular location. That has to be, you have to be able to trust that type of information. And then confidentiality, well, that's what we usually mostly deal with a lot of times when we talk about security, is keeping things confidential. So that's probably the most well-known one is the confidentiality, right? We talk about things like um, encryption, right? Encrypting important data. Right? You talk about having classified systems and stuff too out there for your DOD or government programs and stuff that you're working with. Well, you got to have the confidentiality because you know that you're protecting that sensitive data from unauthorized access. 
These things all work together and every organization, you know, this, this really goes to every organization has its own priorities that are most important, right? And as they begin to build their security apparatus or their security capabilities or put in their security program, they've got to be aware of what's the most important thing. Because if you are a high availability organization and yet you continue to put in things that are going to be, um, that's going to take extra processing, that's going to increase time to latencies as far as you being able to receive the services you want, well, then you have a balance between availability and confidentiality that, uh, that needs to be struck. And if that balance is not there, well, your ability to either provide the important, critical, or crucial service that you do can be hindered. <clears throat> we see this a lot of times when we talk about, um, you know, DOD systems or DOD, let's say DOD weapon systems or high availability, high availability systems for people to say process passes or process access and those types of things. And here's the thing is that there's kind of a catch 22. The more security capabilities you put in in order to protect your sensitive and private information, the more barriers you put in between the user of that information or the consumer of that information and actually getting access to it, which means that slows things down. And we make this, this is true of this, whether we're talking about in electronic processing or just having manual access to it. But there is a way to look at this in terms of, you know, let's say balance between uh, confidentiality and integrity. Integrity, again, is that you trust the data that's there. But for, for instance, if you know that you have a data that needs to be of a high fidelity or high ability to be able to trust that it came from who it's it, who, from who you expected it to come from, and is the data that is completely un uh, that's been unchanged. Well, then there's several ways you have to do that. You have to one make sure that the data stay confidential and no one was able to access it, which means they haven't been able to touch it to actually manipulate it in any circumstance anyway. And then again, you still have to deliver it. So for you to have integrity on your data, one, it's gotta be available so that you're getting what you should have. And then two, you gotta make sure that nobody tampered with it, which means that typically you also have to put things in place to keep that data confidential or to keep it protected. When you do this from a physical world standpoint, this is the kind of the, kind of the same thing of like, hey, I gotta go to a hotel. Okay, great, you go to the hotel. What do you do? Well, you go to the front desk and you get your key. That's first of all. Before you can actually get that key at the front desk, you got to prove who you are. That should be the same thing for any type of access to information or access to uh, any critical information or just in general within your own organization, right? They got to be able to show who they are, prove who they are, right? And then also maintain that that is them as they continue to work through your, your organization. So at that point in time, you're gonna get something that says, yeah, you're authorized to get access to a hotel room if you can prove who you are. So you get that, you have that key, and now you're working your way to the elevator and you're getting ready to say, okay, I hope that this room is available, <laughs> right? I uh, hope they didn't give me a key to somebody else's room, which could happen, right? So again, that's integrity of information. Can you trust that the front desk gave you the right actual key to the right room that you're supposed to be occupying? So now you move along there and you go, wait a minute, I can't get to this room. Well, why not? Well, they closed the third floor. My room's on the third floor. 
this is again where the availability comes in, right? Did they close the front? Did they close the third floor, or did they not allow you access to the third floor to get to your room, right? So again, why would they do that? Well, one, you only have limited access to a hotel room because, again, that's going to protect confidentiality, right? You don't want everybody to know that hey, this person's in this room, or hey, everybody can get to this room and everybody can go into that room, right? So you do want to keep that confidential. Your information, your suitcase. Your suitcases, your wallets, your your money, your valuables that you might have put into the hotel safe inside of the room, those are things that still need protecting, and you're still trying to protect that confidentiality and also to keep that data from being stolen. All right. Now, say at this point in time, okay, maybe the elevator has a card scan on it, and you go, ah, you know what? I did get this at the front desk. I already passed this first test. Now I can say, hey, I have what I need in order to get access to that room. So you scan the little bar thing that's in the that's in the uh, in the elevator, and you move yourself over to now. Hey, now I can get to the floor. It's available now, and now I can get to the room, and I'm the right person to be in the room. So, even in its simplest forms, as like going into a hotel room, uh, the CIA triad is applicable to it, and it is a fantastic way to think about the balance between keeping your information confidential and protecting that sensitive data and information, uh, that sensitive data and private information that's there, right? You then also have to think about that, hey, ease of access to it. Do I really need to go through all these confidential controls in order to be able to make sure that that data is available and we're able to get to it whenever we need it, right? So in that case, you do have to look at what's the balance. Do I need to put in three layers of multi-factor authentication, one for my eye, one for my finger, right? And one for my voice. Do I really need to do that? Because that's going to hinder that availability. But if I don't do that, or some of those items there, there is a minimum set I need to do to make sure that whatever data is there and whatever data I want to transmit or receive, that there's integrity behind it, that it's coming from who I think it's supposed to come from. And also, hey, I'm sending it to who I think it should be going to. right? And that that is a party that's authorized for it. So... These are all things that can be applied as far as from the CI triad. Let's talk about the security intelligence lifecycle. You hear the term threat intelligence a lot across the, you know, across the board. And it, it is not mutually exclusive to security. Um, it's an aspect of it. When we talk about threat intelligence, you know, there, there, there's several ways. You've got man-made threats, and then you've got natural threats, right? Um, natural threats being earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, mudslides. You know, we used to call them like God events, right? Uh, that's there. And then you have man-made, like man-made threats, right? That's really the two categories of threats that there really are out there. So... When we talk about threat intelligence and we talk about security threat intelligence, really, we're talking about man-made threats that then boil down to our technology world, which is now security threats, information security threats, right? And basically, in broad terms, this means identifying attackers and understanding their motivations, methods, and characteristics, right? And you probably hear us call this a lot of times like the threat actor, right? It'd be the man-made, or it'd be the threat actor that would cause a man-made 
uh, particular uh, threat as far as them trying to do damage or to compromise either your information, your data, or your systems, or or even you know processes. And so that's really where security intelligence begins, right? The security intelligence uh, really kind of comes down and, and breaks into, you know, you have to have direction as far as the direction of what you're going to one uh, monitor, right? What are you gonna look at? What's the objectives of your program and stuff too for that, right? And then also what information, defining what information is needed for you to make timely and precise decisions. And that is timely and precise decisions in terms of what do you do to counter a threat actor and the methods that they're using. And then also being able to define in even your organization on what are the type of attacks and the threat actors behind those that could possibly compromise your organization critically. And so as you go through that, you have to think of what information do you need to collect? Right. What information do you need to collect? If your organization is primarily a, you know, let's say a utility provider, right? Um, then utility provider, the primary thing is, is that you have to make sure that the utility stays up and running because, again, it's a utility. There's a value add there that people depend on for their everyday living. That's just what that ends up being. Our collecting of all financial data and stuff on our customers is not really the most appropriate information that we need to collect in order to determine if there is a particular security threat or in or a threat actor and means and systems that have that information. It, it would be, it would be targeted. It'd be the wrong type of targeting, right? So in this case, you have to look at it in terms of, okay, utilities, what's the likely, what are some of the likely causes and stuff for threat actors within that? Well, an attacker might want to interrupt services. An attacker may want to do this from, let's say, a state-sponsored standpoint, right? And that is punishing the population for, let's say, a political position that your country is in or other nefarious things. They could be just playing around to see if they could do what it is that they're targeting to do, right? And so that's where we're evaluating things like, well, who are the threat actors and which ones are the most likely to do this? So we have to look at motivations, methods, and some of the characteristics that's with that. So once you identify things like motivations, well, the information you want to collect needs to be really relative to the methods that could be used, right, for that. So in this sense, if I know that a lot of my security for utility is in physical security, meaning not being able to have physical access to transmission and distribution lines or transmission and distribution facilities and stuff too for the organization. And then if it's a matter of some of the, um, the logical and technology services, right? So not having access to, let's say the, you know, the customer database or um, even to, let's say the ERP or, or enterprise resource planning uh, tools and capabilities of the utility so that they can manage their business, right? So, I want to be able to collect in accordance with what are some of the most likely things that can be used by specific threat actors to actually compromise my organization. So I'm gonna collect information that's relative to that. Who's logging into my systems? Who wants access, physical access to that, right? Uh, do we have good uh, assurance that we've put in the right tools and stuff for that? And then processing that information 
so that we can analyze it and see, you know what, hey, there's an anomaly here. This is not part of our normal usage for these types of systems or for this type of communications, right? And then, of course, there's the production piece of that too. So the analysis and production part of it is an important piece because you can collect all this data, right? You can process it, right? You can put some structure to it. Um, you can translate things from like foreign languages and stuff too into, you know, into, uh, into, into English. But then it's, what does it mean? What does it all mean? So the important part of this is now the really the analysis and production because this is where you're jumping to conclusions, right? You're jumping to conclusions that are based on the information that you've uh, collected. You know that that information then is has high fidelity, meaning you can trust it, and now you can create at least a product or a report that says, "Hey, look, these are the products. I'm sorry, this is what's going on in the organization. Here's what the actual risk is to our areas." Here's what our decision makers would need to use in order to make decisions about how they want to further uh, investigate this information or go ahead and put in safeguards against it. And so that analysis and production part is where it becomes turns from data into conclusive information with actual actions that can be done to either fix a problem that's there or to counter um, what's a possible threat actor could do, the methods they have, and some of the characteristics that's associated with it. But not only that, it doesn't stop there. You get into dissemination, right? So that finished product we were talking about, whether that's an analysis report or even, let's say, a list of remediation options and stuff that's there, um, these reports and stuff probably at some point need to be delivered both to the executive as well as to your clients or even to... Um, even to some of the uh, collaboration um, type organizations that are aligned with your uh, your industry, either the you know the 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 the, the SACs or the ISACs or so from that, um, some of those uh, organizations that have kind of a contingent of your member organizations that would be that data would be useful to that report would be useful to because now they may be facing the same type of uh, threats and threat actors. And so that intelligence will work for them as well to go ahead and check their systems, to go ahead and check their safeguards and capabilities against that too. So dissemination is not only important for your internal organization, it's also important for law enforcement. It's important for your industry partners and stuff too with whom you depend on, which is very familiar within the utility industry. It's very familiar as far as within the aerospace and defense industry, as well as within the different DOD and government agencies, because they will probably likely be facing the same threats and the same threat actors and need the same type of security intelligence and stuff too for that. Then getting into the other part of this for that, again, this is cyclical, is that you didn't also want feedback, right? So let's say for after the view of a, of a new intelligence, of a new report, right? You've got uh, intelligence figures as well as organization leaders who are going to say, hey, this is how we need to act on this, right? This could be a new industry-specific direction, right? Or this could be a new industry uh, 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 position of, hey, you know what? We're not going to accept these products or these telecommunications products and stuff from a particular country because their nation state, as a nation state threat actor, they are using these capabilities and these methods to collect information on our organizations, still our information, 
and or you know use that either against us or for their benefit. So this helps out not only you as an organization, but the whole industry. And so being able to report this stuff and being able to um, get industry feedback and stuff from those is an important piece. And I would say for any of our CISO listeners or cybersecurity directors or CIOs and organizations that are at that top, be sure that you are involved in this process. It is the only way we get better. If we look at our DIB, is the, is, if, we, if we look at our things like our, our DIB or even our contracting companies who produce technology for you know, our safety and overall you know, national well-being and stuff from that, this only helps us uh, respond to the world at large at this point. It is our number one advantage uh, out there because we are able to get so much information from industry, but it can also be our weakness in that, hey, this weakness can be common amongst our industry and we not even discuss it or talk about it, right? And so in that case, we've just really broken the intelligence life cycle. So one of the biggest gaps that's there right now for you know, our industries is not really executing the full life cycle of this as both an industry and as both a U.S. Um, as U.S. industry too. Not just blaming the, uh, not just going after our, our defense industrial base, but for the folks to provide products and stuff too, whether that be in healthcare, technology, weapons, or just in general collaboration and stuff too. This is still a priority that needs to be taken on um, because it is what actually strengthens us. We don't just magically create information. That information is coming from sharing and collaboration. Being able to look at ourselves critically too from a feedback standpoint, like being able to have a timely assessment, right? Timely assessment of what our overall, what our practices as one organization or what our overall practices as an industry or as a government entity or whichever. Being able to, for that to be timely is very important because of how fast um, threats and threat actors and methods move and can adapt. And it's only going to get faster as we start looking at things like quantum and as we begin to incorporate um, artificial intelligence and stuff here. You know, we have already been beaten to the punch in some ways as far as in our full-out collection of data because for years we've stayed very much so stovepiped and we have not been collaborative, right? Which, again, if you're not coordinated with your industry, industry peers, uh, supply chain and all that, if you're not coordinated in this area for you know, from a security intelligence lifecycle standpoint, well, then there's going to be gaps and holes you're just not going to know about. And then that's also going to be vice versa as far as with your partners, competitors, um, your collaborators and stuff on that, your teams and stuff that you have that's doing that work. So alignment of these things is, is essential because we, we can't do it alone. One organization can't do it alone. All right. But many organizations can really create a knowledge base that can absolutely be able to uh, enable us to respond quicker and to close and make decisions quicker as far as on protecting both our data as well as our industry data. And then, of course, having um, that intelligence feedback so that, hey, we use the feedback to and then continue to create more direction, to continue to drive what we collect, what the processing is, and to create a more accurate um, 
you know, threat assessment report and stuff too, uh, for that to be actionable and disseminated. Now, to all of our listeners, I know at times that cyber can sound like uh, Pig Latin, right? Um, because we have a lot of acronyms, we have a a, a ton of um, approaches, a lot of like theoretical approaches, a lot of frameworks and stuff too that's out there. If you've ever gone and just kind of looked at all the the cyber stuff, just go really to Google and just type in cyber, right? It is like one big rabbit hole of a lot of terms and names, catchphrases and stuff that's out there, right? But some of them have a very foundational piece in place in our industry. And so one of the kind of seminal works when it came to this was uh, the cyber kill chain. This was, uh, uh, this was uh, kind of a, a framework and model uh, that was uh, created by Lockheed. Um, and I'm sure that there were some other root um, contributors and stuff to that from both FFRDC uh, inputs and areas to other industry folks who have also made comments and stuff on this. But really, when we talk about the cyber kill chain, let's just kind of walk through it. Um, we're talking about having reconnaissance, right? Understanding, you know, weaponization as far as where one, the step from a recon standpoint is that an attacker and intruder chooses their target, right? And this is what the kill chain is saying. How do you go down the cycle of targeting, uh, targeting a particular product or service or a company or organization or weakness, right? And then looking at that weakness is saying, you know what? This is how we weaponize this, right? And that is basically how do you create things like a, a malware or a weapon or a virus or uh, some way to exploit the vulnerabilities that you found in the reconnaissance area there? And then basically on how do you deliver that capability and stuff to them, right? Um, so we're just kind of walking down the line of the kill chain here right now. So we've gotten through recon, weaponization, now we're at delivery, right? And basically this delivery step right here is how do you transmit a weapon? Can this be done via email? Can it be done via USB, right? Can it be done via a, a call or so? Can it be done via uh, even just a, a physical, you know, access to uh, a particular system or a particular, you know, company or organization's uh, uh, building or internals? Now that you've delivered it, now you have the exploitation portion of this, right? And this is where really it starts to act. If we're talking about malware, this is where the action kind of starts, right? This is where the program or the code or malicious code from that end is triggered and it exploits the vulnerability that was targeted. Then you've got the installation, right? So in this step, this is where the malware installs, basically let's say a, an access point, or like I say, this is where you actually kind of put the hook in, right? This could be the, this could be the back door, right? So that you can get back in there. These are things that are there. So when we talk about things like malware attacks, it's not usually immediate. It's working through this kill chain and it's taking these steps here in order to get to its final, you know, final conclusion, right? And so on the installation piece, this is where they're creating their doorway or their pipeline or funnel to at some point send information back to wherever it needs to go, right? For the threat actor to be successful. You then have the command and control. So this is where they get access to whatever resources they created the back door to, right? And now the attacker can open and close, let's say network communications or system communications at will so that one, 
it can receive that information, but two, it can actually close these things as well in order to, one, keep it from being detected. So now you're in a place now where the intruder's in the house, right? But the intruder can use different closets and different doors and hide up under the stairs and stuff without you ever knowing that they're there. But the ultimate goal for them as they go through this is to exfiltrate, right? So exfiltration. This is when they've gained persistent access to whatever system or network that they were targeting. And now they want to do their purpose and that is to either pull data from you or steal it, to ransom that data, to send that data out for their own uses and reports, or to just destroy the data, right? Let's just be, you know, let's just be blunt. You know, sometimes just destroying the data itself is indeed a, a you know, is, is indeed the, the, the goal. As we walk through this kill chain, when we talk about this, we are also talking about not only, hey, this is the steps that an intruder is going through or that a threat actor is going to, but these are the areas that you have to be able to make more difficult for them to accomplish in order to stop them. So it's very relative in, in this case because it is just like watching a burglar work. The burglar is going to recon a neighborhood. They're going to identify, say, the softest target in that neighborhood. They're going to think, okay, you know what? That's the softest target in the neighborhood. I'll have the most advantage as far as going there, and I have the least, um, I have the least chances of being caught. Like in Home Alone. There you go. When you identify those types of things, or when an intruder identifies that, again, they don't want to go after the hardest target. Typically, if you're going through this kill chain, you're going to, through your recon, identify the weakest area or the weakest target to attack and that's what you're gonna go after. And this is true of just about any applicability when we talk about reconnaissance for the purpose of either doing an intrusion or uh, accomplishing a goal and stuff there. You're identifying that low-hanging fruit and that's what you're gonna go after, right? And if self-preservation is also something that's a goal in doing this, then yeah, if you're the weakest target that's sitting there, you're probably gonna get it because at that point in time, the attacker is going, hey, I want to be able to accomplish this, but I don't want to get caught. So that's where you go. Okay. Um, the idea about security in some same in some veins is to make yourself the harder target, at least harder than the one that's sitting beside you, so that they go after that instead of you. Yeah, and that relates back to the cyber attack surface we talked about in our last episode. Yep. Yep. So uh, basically, when you look at uh, uh, an attack surface and you say, you know what, this has these holes, these services running, these capabilities here, but it's less than this other here. Well, guess what? You're increasing your attack service for that particular target, right? So if I'm targeting a mom and pop store, right? And I'm like, hey, I wanna go and I wanna steal from this mom and pop store. Well, I don't see a security guard that's there. So it's probably just the individual that's in there that's uh, currently manning the store. Um, I can either go in there as just a friendly and stick some stuff in my pockets and walk out the store, or I can hold the store up and try to get some cash and stuff from it. Well, what's more likely, the mom and pop store getting 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 robbed or Publix or Wegmans or one of those? Which one's more likely to get robbed from a, let's say, a, 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 a armed, you know, an, an, armed, uh, an armed thief, right? Yeah, what, what's their security posture right. like? what's their posture like and what's the advantage from there, right? Mm -hmm. Again, get as much as I can with the least likely chance of getting caught, or in some cases killed in that case, right? 
Um, so these are some of the things that you kind of have to say, cyber is not that complex. You just kind of have to put it into real world terms. Mm-hmm. You know, real world terms is, is if I'm a guy that's walking down the street with a wallet hanging from a string that's behind me, and as I'm going into a crowded area and stuff for that, well, I'm, I'm probably more likely to be robbed in that case because the availability is there. The motive, if I have a motive to, 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 to get money right now, well, that's the easiest way to do it. And the other part is, is that I'm in a crowded area. So, hey, I can do it without being necessarily seen at that moment. Here you go. Pretty simple to do, right? It's the same thing as far as in our industry. It's the same thing as we look across the board as far as a commercial and DOD and agencies and stuff too. So you will find it also just statistically, some agencies that have been attacked more than others. Mm. And that could be really a side effect of how much budget do you have to secure what you have. And also the other part is, is, is that value the same, you know, to that agency or to the government as it is to the attacker. If the attacker sees that that value is big for them, well, they're going to put their efforts into attacking that. And then also it gets sweetened up if they say, you know what, they also are an easy target. So it's kind of a, you're kind of, you're kind of playing double jeopardy there. So again, another real world way to think about how um, cyber, uh, how cyber is affected by threat actors and how they follow their kill chain as well to achieve what they want. And that is to either take data, um, destroy data, or in some cases to ransom that data. All right, so we talked about today the cyber kill chain. We also spoke about the security intelligence lifecycle and also the CIA triad, right? And so if I had to really kind of put this into one perspective for you, right? If I am an organization or if I am someone that owns data or has data or manages that, right? I'm gonna look at how I can impose the CIA triad to determine what's the most important thing for me to do? Is it to protect the confidentiality of it? Is it to protect the availability of it or the integrity of it? And if so, how would a threat actor actually go through the process of the cyber kill chain to get access to that data or to prevent me from getting access to that data? And then from that, if I'm gonna build a program around it, well, I'm gonna look at my security intelligence to look at, they have the means to do this from a confidentiality standpoint, well, I'm going to monitor that probably more readily, right? I'm going to put in more controls and stuff for that. When I do my homework and stuff there and I'm saying, you know what, here's what my analysis has presented in terms of what's going on on my network, what's going on through my application, my users and stuff from that, well, that's going to give me an idea of what part of the kill chain do I need to actually put effort and tools and investment in in order to stop right and then from there i'm going to be really enforcing that balance that i talked about in the ci triad if i am tilted towards needing to be more confidential i'm probably going to put in more firewalls i'm probably going to put in more antivirus and anti-malware type of capabilities from that end right i'm probably going to put in stronger access controls and stuff for that uh, information and it's going to be just harder for them to get to that information period that's what i'm going to do so when i look at these and i kind of put them all together yeah they are different aspects of the same topic but it is indeed used to drive decision making you know here when i know both what my priorities are as far as either protecting that data keeping it available or keeping it trustworthy 
versus the threat actors that want to come after it and how I can monitor those potential threat actors and their potential methods for doing that. That's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. If you want to see updates on the show, its upcoming guests, and more, follow our LinkedIn or our new Twitter page. If you have questions for Lojo or want to come on the show, you can send us an email at officiallojoshow at gmail.com or join our new Discord server. You have to follow our LinkedIn page to learn how to join. With that, we will say goodbye, have a great week, stay safe, and stay secure.